One more time, can we put our hands together for all the fathers, all the men in the house who play any type of role of leading and guiding. We thank God for each and every one of you, and we're so thankful to celebrate today with you. Well, it's so good to be back in the house with you guys after 30 days of a sabbatical for me and my wife. We have missed you all. We have missed you all. But before I jump into the message, I want to say this about Father's Day as we celebrate. And I know the worship time that we had today went a little bit longer, but what greater gift could we give our Father, our Heavenly Father, than to give him praise? Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, as it pertains to Father's Day, though, I do know um, there's a little bit of a difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day most times. So on Mother's Day, if you haven't gotten your reservation within like a month in advance, you might as well cancel it. You, You can't even get into a restaurant. Whereas on Father's Day, people are sending out texts saying, we got room for y'all to come. So we need to make sure that y'all actually go and take your fathers to somewhere to eat or just have a good time today. Uh, so much so that even uh, this morning, as you even look around and try to get a gift for your father, a card or something, uh, on Mother's Day, if you go to day of, you cannot find one. But on Father's Day, they're giving buy one, get three free specials. <laughs> So we did a little something for you. If you didn't get one yet, you can actually stop by the restroom. We got a little thing in there called a Father's Day card that you can actually give to your father if you forgot. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to say this before I actually jump into the message. I want to thank uh, the Victory Midtown staff because uh, when you're gone for 30 days, um, you have to know that in order for things to not just maintain but to move forward in a great way, you have to have leaders who are taking things up and making sure it's pushed forward. And so I want to give a big shout out to our staff here at Victory Midtown, Michael Cornwall, Pastor Erskine Johnson, Alex Smalls, Pastor Drea Fisher, Elijah Moore, uh, Pastor Felix Ramos, Pastor Jamal, and Pastor Davis. We thank God for each and every one of them for doing such a great, great job making sure we're able to move forth in power and strength. And Kendra and I are so happy to be back with you. Amen? Amen. Now let's jump into the word. Today is Father's Day. And with it being Father's Day, uh, we are continuing in this series, When You Pray. And in this series, we've been talking, actually we've been talking all year, and we'll continue to talk all year about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gave his most impactful sermon to the world. And where we are now is that we are in chapter 6. And what we saw even over the last several weeks has already been said that Jesus was very specific about the usage of his words when he gave instructions. He said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, because he was making an assumption that if you call yourself a believer, a Christ follower, that you do these things. Amen? And so as we jump into this, I know a majority of you may be even listening to me right now saying, yeah, I pray, Pastor Mo." I pray all the time. When I wake up in the morning after I take that, I say, thank you, Lord, and I keep it moving. Some of us will say, I pray because I sit down before I eat, and I say, God is good. God is great. God, I thank you for this plate. Amen. Or, you know, before you go to bed, some of y'all may say this famous prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, wake me up, Lord. (laughs) See, I don't use the old part. I'm like, Lord, wake me up. I got stuff to do tomorrow. (laughs) Or if you've played sports or you've been a part of sports teams, you know that the Lord's Prayer is like one of the most popular prayers. And we're going to talk about that today. But when you were in high school or something, you may have not even known the power of the Lord's Prayer. Everybody just put their hands together. They start mumbling. Oh, Father, what's out in heaven? Amen. It's more than just a little something that you recite like that. And so as we talk about this today, I really want to make sure I build a foundation for what prayer is. 
Because if we say that it's important to pray, we need to understand it. And so go ahead and open up your version Bible notes. I'm going to go ahead and, and walk through some of these things. And this is what I want you to know. I need you to follow along in the notes and save them because there are so many things that are going to need to be caught more than I can actually speak out and take the time to dig into this morning. And so as we look at this, here it is, ground level. Prayer is a communication with God. It's a communication with God. It's communion with your creator, and it's central to the Christian life. It's communication with God. It's communion with your creator, and it's central to the Christian life. And so if this is the truth, if it's central to your life, I think it's important to know how to do it and who to pray to. And what I love about God is that he doesn't leave us lacking. He doesn't want us guessing. He doesn't want us playing Russian roulette. He gives us a guide into how we pray. But here's the first major key I want to give you today. This is in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. Listen to this. It's deep, but it's so powerful. We are a reflection of our prayer life. We are a reflection of our prayer life. We are a reflection of the way we pray and who we actually offer our prayers up to. So much so, write this statement down. It's also in your notes. The quality of your life is directly correlated into the quality of your prayer life. And so right there, you could kind of do an inventory in your life. If stuff is just out of whack and it's turned the wrong way, you might be actually struggling in your prayer life. If things are inconsistent, good one day, bad the next day, I would venture to say somewhere in there, your prayer life could use some realigning. But what if I told you that I could offer up a way to pray that could totally upgrade your life? That could totally change the way you operate so much so that you don't even recognize yourself this time next year. I like to say this all the time, not just as some little thing to say as a cliche, but I like to say, give God one year following his statutes. Give God one year actually following his instructions and watch where your life is. The problem is not that we don't have the prescription from God. The problem is that we don't take the prescription. And so as we're walking through this, I believe that we can have confidence in our prayers. Can I get an honest church this morning? How many of us have offered up prayers and we kind of offer them up just like, it might happen? That's not the way God wants us to operate. He really wants us to operate to where we know without a shadow of a doubt that we can have confidence that he hears us and they will be answered. More than when we just start to say stuff in church and we leave it at church and we don't take it home. And so here it is, after a 30-day sabbatical, I came here with good news today. I came here to let you know that God is not trying to hold back his blessing from you. He is not trying to hold back something. He actually has given us an open book test that if we will follow it, we will pass with flying colors. And so as we are talking about this today, there is a way to pray that will do these things. Number one, that will actually change the way you operate as a single, as a married person. It will change your whole relational aspect. It will change your financial situation to where you will actually get more into alignment and how God wants you to utilize your finances. It will change and shift your mental and physical health. Yeah, therapy is good, but there's nothing like God moving directly in your life. It will change where you will start to get more wisdom and understanding in the things that he has for you. It will change so where strongholds of sin do not have to have you bound. Somebody needs to say amen to that. And it will change you to the point where you will start to see God's presence and his power 
active and alive in your life. I say that like that because gone are the days of us just coming to church to have a religious exercise. I need an encounter with God every time I show up in his presence. Because I know that when I get an encounter with God, he can move me. He can actually quantum leap me over things that would have taken me five steps. He can do it in a moment. And so if we can grab this today, we can really understand what God has for us. But here's the temptation. Especially in the narcissistic culture that we live in today, we have kind of relied on this self-reliant thing that I just got to work on me. I just got to work on me and things will get better. Not realizing this major key that when you work, you work. But when you pray, God works. Can I say that one more time for this side of the room? When you work, you work. If it's up to you, it's going to happen only if you labor and strain. But God is saying, when you pray, you've now activated me into the picture. You've now invited me into the room so that I can change some things that you can't change on your own. And so this perspective that we're really walking from that I really am just presenting today is this perspective of humility. Please write this down. This is not in your notes. Write this down. The perspective that we have to have all of us is, God, I can't, but you can. Repeat this after me. Say, God, I can't, but you can. So what this means is that every blessing, every good thing, and in the same way, every bad thing, every curse is correlated to your prayer life. And so I said it already that God does not desire to hold things back. He gives us a blueprint. And I want to take us to the first time that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in Luke chapter 11. Let's go to Luke 11 verse 1. The Bible says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Let me just pause right there. Do you notice if you read the Bible long enough, you'll see that Jesus was often praying. And every time he prayed, when he came back, something shifted. And so you often see him praying and setting that foundation before he goes to do anything. That's a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ for some of y'all. You've been trying to operate in your own strength for way too long. You've not been praying about things. You've been telling God what you're going to do. And so it says, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So here's the thing. Why did they ask him to teach them to pray? Jesus did a whole lot of miracles. They could have asked him, Lord, teach us how to heal people. Lord, teach us how to feed people with a little bread and a little fish. Lord, teach us how to turn water into wine. Now, that will have been some of y'all's prayer. Some of y'all say, I can forget all the other stuff. Just teach me how to do that one thing. No, they didn't ask him to do any of those things. They said, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they noticed that when Jesus prayed, he was a, a man. He was God in man's form on the earth. He was a man among them, but they noticed that when he went to pray, now his natural met up with the super. That when he came out of his prayer closet, after he came out of the place of prayer, supernatural things started to happen. How many people in this room could use some supernatural influence in your life? I'm not talking about being spooky. I'm not talking about witchcraft. I'm talking about God's hand on your life where he's giving you the answer to things you need. They said, teach us how to pray because we notice something different about you when you come back. 
And so we see here, Jesus, he gives them a blueprint. Somebody say blueprint. That's important because what I'm not saying is that you need to memorize this word for word and that's where your power is going to come from. Your power comes in the principle. Your power comes in the form, in the way, following his statutes and what he laid out. And so you can dictate stuff all day but not have any power. But he says right here, I'm going to give you a blueprint. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, this is Jesus, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our what? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to go through the gamut of those principles there. But I want to break this down for you because I believe this will help us and when we approach God in prayer to really know what we're doing and not feel like we're just guessing. So what we see in verses 9 through 13 of chapter 6 is that Jesus, he breaks down critical themes in what is called the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to run through them. They're going to be on the screen, but I need you to grab them. Number one, he's establishing his presence. That's why he says, our Father in heaven. Number two, he's expanding his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Number three, submitting to his will. Your will be done. Praying in his blessing. Number four, give us this day our daily bread. Simply saying, God, I don't want just what I think I need. I need you to show me what I actually need because sometimes I pick the wrong thing or the wrong people. Amen. Number five, establishing a clean heart. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. Number six, preparing yourself to walk in love. Lead us not into temptation. God, don't even put me in the path of something I might be tempted in. Take me around. Take me around the street. Put me in an Uber, whatever you need to do. And number seven, establishing his authority. Deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom. Again, Jesus is saying, in this manner, pray like this. Because these are the key ingredients to you lining up with the heart of God. This takes the guesswork out of us trying to just throw up words and have a seance. It's God saying, hey, I gave you the keys. And so today on Father's Day, we're going to hone in on that first part where we are establishing his presence. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Now, I said earlier that prayer is communication with the Father and that it's communion with God. And whenever, you would know this to be true even in your own life, whenever you come into the presence of someone, there are some things that are at play. I want to call these dynamics of presence. Dynamics of presence. Now, as I get ready to say this, I want you to put this in your practical mind because this is not just a church thing. This is something that also can be used in your personal life. It can be used in your business goings. It can be used in your social settings. But there's dynamics of presence that are at play Every time we come in contact with somebody else. Number one, it is this. Who you know that person to be. Who you know that person to be. How you know that person dictates how you actually encounter with them. Number two, your position and level of relationship with that person. Number three, how confident you are in the presence of that person. And number four, how you hope or expect that person to respond. 
Now, I just gave y'all some free game to start filtering through the people that you're dealing with. That when you go into their presence, you can actually look at these things to say, okay, how are these things panning out? Because these dynamics give you this key. Again, write this down. This is not in your notes. Your perception affects your expectation. Your perception affects your expectation. We just saw in that video that the perception of the father changed when he put on the glasses of the little kid. Because what the little kids have, they have a different perception about their expectation. And I would venture to say some of us in here, we need to go back to thinking like a kid. Because we've been beaten down so much in life that we don't have a good expectation. We go into situations thinking it's going to be against us. But that's not what God says. And so as we think about this, I was working on this message and I started to just kind of feel this even when it comes to Father's Day. Our son Maximus just turned two years old. Somebody say, help him, Lord. (laughs) He just turned two years old. And many people would say the terrible twos, but we have called ourselves to say these are the terrific twos. These are the transformative twos. These twos will either transform you into a patient person or they will transform you into pulling your hair out. But what we say is that this is going to be a time of transformation for him, and that's terrific. And so what we've noticed when it comes to discipline, so he is now coming to that age. Any parents in here of toddlers know what I'm talking about. He's gotten to that age where his opinion matters a lot. And he wants you to hear about it. He's gotten to that age where he knows the word no very well. And so what we have seen is that there are times that he actually, it takes a little bit longer for him to kind of get in line because he has to work through his emotions. He has to kind of calm down and do all these things. But what we've decided to do, because some of us grew up like me, uh, my, my grandmother had this little paint stirrer on the cabinet that when I didn't do something fast enough, she kind of tapped me. She got me together. What we've decided is that we know that we have to discipline him. We know that we can't just let him just go because he will try you. Somebody say amen to that. He will try you. But what we've decided and what we've discovered is that if, somebody say if, if we were to have to discipline him in a way that calls for more than just having a little conversation, we've decided that we will never put our hands on him directly. What we've decided is that if there was a time where we needed to kind of get him in line a little bit more, just give him the threat of getting it together, we pull out this little long plastic spoon, taking it back to my grandmama roots. And what I've learned is that when I pull out that little spoon, I don't even have to hit him. Because what happens is that we're saying, no, we want to make sure that I'm never going to put my hand on you directly, that you confuse my hand coming to you for trouble, then it should be for good. Because what I want him to know is that every time his father and his mother reach out to him, they're reaching out to him to love him. They're reaching out to him to nurture him. They're reaching out to him to make sure he's okay. Now, some of y'all are like, this soft parenting stuff don't work. (laughs) It takes a little bit more patience. But listen to me. What we've seen is that now, because we have not done that, because we don't put our hands on him directly, his perception of us has an expectation that he wants to come to us. And so now when he says, pick me up, daddy, he knows when I put my hand down, he doesn't have to flinch. 
And what we see in a lot of people is that we're flinching at God when he's trying to reach down to love us. What we see is that many times when God is trying to make sure you see him as father, as loving, we see him as judge and jury. And so, again, your perception affects your expectation. My son Maximus has faith in me as his father that I have plans to prosper him, to give him a good hope and a good future. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, kind of points this out in a very great way. It says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It says, believe that he is, that he is who? He's talking about character. My rhetorical question to you right now is, who is God to you? If we look at that, we will have to have different of opinions of who God is to us based on our experience with him. And because I've been gone for a little while, I need a good lean in right now. Come on. Everybody lean in. Those in the overflow, I need you to lean in too. I know you think I can't see you, but come on. Those online, lean in. Listen, when we ask the question, who is God to us? For a lot of believers, we see God as this distant force somewhere out there. We see God as someone who's going to punish us for doing wrong. We see God in a way that's not intimate, it's judgmental. And when we see God like that, it's because we don't have an engaged, intimate relationship with him that's tangible and close. And what I would say about that is that not you, but your neighbor might actually be a practical atheist. What is a practical atheist? Some of y'all are like, boy, you've been gone. You're you bringing some stuff. I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> A practical atheist is one, and an atheist is one who operates as if there is no God. See, there's a difference between theoretical theism where everybody believes that there is a force. The Gallup poll says that about 81% uh, of people believe that there's a force. But if you are operating as if there is no God, that you can't feel him, that he can't be with you, that he doesn't love you, you might need to check yourself because you might be operating as a practical atheist. You can lean back. <laughs> Listen, we have to live in a way that we know God exists and we know his character, that we have trust, that we have faith, that we have confidence in him. But here it is. You cannot trust somebody that you don't really know. If I was to, you know, look around this room, if somebody was to come in here right now, a, a random person, and say, hey, hey, give me your keys real quick. You left your lights on. I need to go move your car. You'd be looking at them like, what? Because you can't trust somebody you don't really know. But if it was someone you knew, some of y'all would trust your family, but I don't know about everybody. If it was somebody you knew, you would say, okay. But here's the thing. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. If you believe in prayer at all, Expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he will hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. Hmm. This is why Jesus says there's a way to enter into God's presence. There's a way to establish his presence before you even ask for anything. There's a right way, and I'm not just talking about you either getting on your knees or standing up. I'm not talking about this prescriptive thing that, oh, if you don't pray for an hour, it's not effective. 
What I'm saying is that there's a way, not a style, there's a way to come into the presence of God with gratitude, with a posture of appreciation, with a posture of honor. That's why we took a little bit more time today just to say, I love you, Lord. Because I want God to know that, yes, I'm going to receive some things from you, but I want to first give you all the praise and all the honor. Amen? Many of us have heard this scripture, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his what? Bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. See, it's from this posture of thanksgiving where we're able to now establish and set a tone that, God, I know you intimately. God, I know I'm not a stranger. God, I'm coming to you, giving you praise because I want you to know that I'm building this foundation to establish your presence in my life. And so as I said earlier, the foundational theme of this first, Our Father, Hallowed Be Thy Name, is that we need to establish God's presence in our lives. And we do that in two primary ways. Let me give them to you. Number one, we have to establish our relationship. Establish our relationship. See, yes, I know on Father's Day, everybody is not happy about being able to get up because you may or may not have had a great relationship with your earthly father. And what generally happens is how you see and have experienced the earthly father trickles over into how you perceive and how you see your heavenly father. So that when preachers are up talking and and worship leaders are up there saying, don't we have God as a provider? You're like, I don't know anything about that. If you've never had a father that was there, you don't really see God as the one who was a very present help in the time of trouble. But what we have is that we have God, through Jesus, giving us this key, giving the first words of this critical prayer, saying, Our Father, where? In heaven, not your earthly father. Because what he's saying is that even if you had a good father, God the Father is even better. And if you didn't have a good father, he's saying, hey, rework your mind, reconstruct your understanding of what a good father is. Because if you didn't know it, COVID wasn't really the pandemic that's actually plagued us over all these years. Fatherlessness is actually the greatest pandemic epidemic that has ever existed in our history. Because fatherlessness affects society. It affects sexuality. It affects politics. It it affects identity. All these things are found from a father. Watch this. Because a father affirms the femininity of a woman and confirms and affirms the masculinity of a man. This is no shade to a woman. This is no shade or nor nor downer to a woman, even a single mother. But I want to let you know our father has created a way that he affirms men and women. Amen? Amen. And so what Jesus is trying to do right here, he's really just trying to lift our eyes up. Can you do this? Lift your head up. Lift lift your head up. He's saying, I'm trying to lift your eyes up from seeing things on an earthly level to now seeing things on a higher level, on a heavenly level. So you can understand that forget what you heard. I have something new and better for you. And so that's why it's very important for me. I take it very seriously to model godly fatherhood to my son. Because I want him to now start to get hardwired in him that he can see me as a loving father. So now he's conditioned to be able to receive the heavenly father in an easier way. Some of us, yes, we had fathers like that that did that, but some of us didn't. But the good news is God said, I can press a reset. I can give you a reset right now if you can capture this revelation and not just hear this as a sermon. I can actually shift the way you've been seeing things. 
And so when I understand God is my father, our father in heaven, we are hollowing his name. Let's see what that means. Hollowed means to be set apart, to be reverenced as holy, to be praised, and to be worshipped. To be set apart, reverenced as holy, to be praised, and be worshipped. What holy means is different. Somebody say different. different. Two chains wasn't the first person that made a song about that. In the heavenlies, God is saying, I am holy, meaning I am different. And when you see me as different, now you can be different. And so what he's saying is that I'm different from all the other dads. I'm different from all the things you've experienced. And so when we come into his presence, I hollow his name. How do we do it? I lift up his name. I worship. That's why we spend time in in the beginning of service to worship. This is not just a pre-show when people are up here singing. This is not the opening act when people are up here singing. That's the most important part of the worship service because if you don't open yourself up to God and hollow his name, everything that a preacher says up here will find itself hollow. And so as we get this, here it is. How do we bless his name? How do we hollow his name? Uh, Psalm 34 says this in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. See, these are not just nice words put together. He's saying magnify his name, meaning see him in the way that he really is. Don't look at him as small. Speak his name as great as he is. Because here it is, if we're going to experience effective prayer, we have to do more than petition God. we got to praise God. And we have to praise God before we ever make a petition or it's not going to be something that's going to be effective. I worship his name. Hear me, Victory. We need to understand the power of his name because it will change how we pray. When you understand who you're talking to, it changes how you pray, which brings me to the second thing. Number two, we have to connect his character with our life. We have to connect his character with our lives. When I got this revelation, it totally shifted the way I prayed. Because I'll be honest, I used to pray because it was something I was supposed to do. I used to pray because of my grandmama's testimony. I used to pray because in church it says you're supposed to do it. But again, I said earlier, your perception of God affects your expectation of God. And so God wants us to see him in the right way, and he actually gave us some clues. He gave us nine primary ways that we can actually see his character and his characteristics. Write this statement down. I connect his character by understanding his characteristics. I understand his character by understanding his characteristics. I told you I got a revelation about this. Some years ago, I I looked up what my name meant. Now, I know I go by Mo, but my actual government name is Andrew. And Andrew means strong. It means enduring. It means manly. And so when I started to look at this and see what my name meant, I realized that the character started to match up with the characteristics. And what it also does is that when I find myself not living up to the characteristics of my name, I can check myself. And so what we need to understand is there is power in a name. Somebody say there's power in a name. There's power in the name. And so the first name that I want to give us, actually the the, the preface of the name is Jehovah. 
All through the Bible, God affirms himself as Jehovah, and this connotes I am that I am. And so the first name that I want to give us, and I'm going to kind of walk through these kind of quickly so we can grab it, but we, this gives us keys to how we can pray in our private time. Number one with Jehovah is Jehovah Tzitkanu. He is our righteousness. And what we need to understand about this important, I believe this is probably the most important one because this affects our sin consciousness. If we never get this, we will always start to think that we are slaves instead of sons and daughters. If we never get this, we will always say, low is me. I'm just a, a saint that was a sinner that fell down. We need to know that God, he gave us righteousness through Jesus Christ so that he was made righteous, which means we are made righteous through him. James 5.16 says it like this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. A prayer of who? Come on, a prayer of who? Which means if your prayers have not been effective, maybe you need to check your lens of your righteousness. And it's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And we just need to match ourselves up with that. Here it is, number two, the second name, Jehovah Mekadesh, means the Lord who sanctifies. See, sanctification means to make holy, to set apart, to cause to be different. And Paul, he talks about how we used to be sinners, just like the world, but this in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And that is what some of you were. Somebody say were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. God is saying, I am the one who is different, which means I now have made you different. And we have to accept that truth. Number three, Jehovah Shalom. Somebody say peace. He's saying, I am your peace. I don't know about you, but in the world we live in today, we need to be tapping into Jehovah Shalom. I'm just going to tell you, when I'm in the gym and I'm working out, you know, I might know I look like I have a mug on my face because I'm serious, but I'm saying Jehovah Shalom. Because at any given time, the, thing, the way things work in today's society, something can drop, jump off at any time. And more than a weapon can help me, more than security can help me, I'm saying, Jehovah Shalom, be my peace so that I can be at peace. And so what we need to do as people is every day when we wake up, before we leave out with all this anxiety and fretting about stuff, just slow down and call on Jehovah Shalom to be your peace. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, listen, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, I love that Jesus never asked us to do anything that he hasn't first done first. Jesus was literally, before he read this scripture, before he said this, he was literally about to go through hell. Literally. But he was at peace because he said, I know God is with me. That's the same promise that we have. And so number four, we need to tap in as well to Jehovah Shammah. Say, the Lord is there. See, when God's people are rebuilding uh, Jerusalem, the prophet, prophet Ezekiel, what he said, he said, the name of this city will be called Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. What he was saying right there, he's saying, the Lord is with us. Because we know that, we can actually tap in and have confidence knowing that God is with me. So what this means is that when you go into the boardroom, when you go into the job that you don't like, 
When you go to the family reunion this summer and you know it always gets turned the wrong side, you can say, Jehovah Shammah, I know you're with me. I know you're not going to leave me. And I know I can have confidence that I'm walking with you. This is important because the reality is so many people have abandonment issues. Whether it started from a father or whether it started from people in their lives. And we need to be able to know, yes, they may have done that to me, but God will never abandon me. God will never leave me. And I can call on him as Jehovah Shammah. Number five, here's one that's very popular that we hear a lot about. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. See, I love this because a lot of times we call on this, but God is not just saying I provide. He's saying I'm provision. He's better, greater than anything that can be given to you. He's the one that can make something out of nothing because he's the one that created everything. And so if you can have that confidence in him, what it does, it gives you a different swagger. It gives you a different confidence. It gives you a different peace because they can say, yeah, the economy is about to go down. But you can say, I'm not dependent on the world economy. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. And so as we grab this, let's look at him as the one who provides. Number six, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. If you've been around victory any period of time, you know every single service we pray for healing. Because we believe that God did not create us to live partially in healing. He wanted us to walk in wholeness as our promise. And Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, we didn't call him that. He called himself that. In Exodus 15, 26, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Let me give you just a little nugget. There are things that sometimes are happening in your life that you can call God on the carpet of. You can say, God, you said you're the one who heals. You said you're the one who provides. You said you're the one who is my peace. And so we say, thank you, God, for being Jehovah Rapha. Number seven, I'm almost there. Jehovah Rohi. He's the Lord, our shepherd. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 4 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, just like our heavenly father, our son, he doesn't know half of the things that I saved his life from. Because he knows I'm right there with him, he can be carefree because he knows I'm a good shepherd. Because he can have trust in us and have the right perception of us, he's climbing all over his, uh, his crib. He's actually climbing out of his crib now. He's climbing all over stuff, and he's not thinking about nothing because he knows that when he falls, daddy's right there, and he's going to catch me. This is an announcement for some of you in here. You've been walking in fear too long. You've been walking with anxiety too long. You've been walking, trying to protect yourself for too long, not knowing that the Lord, your shepherd, is already moving and guiding you around things that you can't even think of. He's our shepherd. Number eight, Jehovah Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. I like this one right here because this literally means the Lord of heaven's armies. Hmm. 285 times in the Bible, God is called the Lord of heaven's armies. See, when I pray remembering this name, I can be like David. 
David in Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, y'all remember the story? He showed up and Goliath, this giant, was looking at them, mocking them and laughing. And what David said in chapter 17, 40, verse 45, David said to Goliath, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. He's saying, I'm not just coming in my own ability. And what I also like about David, if you read the Bible like I do, David was a little petty. He was a little petty. David looked at Goliath. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defy the armies of the living God? Now, that might mean something different today. But he was telling him, you don't know who's with me. You might just see this little guy with this little slingshot, but you don't know I got a host of people with me. I got a whole gang of them with me. My crew is better than yours. Some of y'all need to walk this week and say, my crew the Lord of heaven's armies has given me a presence that's better than anything that can try to come against me. Watch this. This is the last one. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord our victory. Now, the name of this church is called Victory because we believe that God gives us the victory. And Jehovah Nisi literally means the Lord is our banner. Because what they used to do back in biblical times, they would erect these banners and they would put them over them and before them because they were trying to send a signal that God is coming. God's people are coming. And so when we understand that he's our banner, we need to know that when we employ this, the spirits that try to come against us actually see God, our banner, before they see us. And that right there gives you a confidence because when you know that he is the Lord, your victory, we're not working to see if we will win. We're working from the history of our victory that God has already established. And so when we know Jehovah Nisi, we can call this prayer out. We can say at 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I need to say this as I even kind of get ready to close this message. I need to let you know that, yes, you will have to fight some things, but the fight is already fixed. Yes, you might have to go through some things, but God has already given you the victory. Yes, you might have some opposition, but if you will continue to move forward, God is saying, you already have won. All you do is win, as a matter of fact. And so as we look at this, we need to take this and say, God, thank you. Thank you that you've given me nine observations of your character that I can start looking into, that I can start leaning into. But here's what I need you to know. All of these things are things that we have to enter into God's presence. Before we start asking him for something, we need to look up and say, wow, God, thank you for being a sanctifier. Thank you for being a protector. Thank you for being my peace. Now, now, now that I've actually given you your props, this is what I actually need your interference in. And so when we get this, we can take all these things, but we can't leave out what we sung about earlier. There's one more name that flavors all nine of these, and that name is Abba. Earlier in the service, we sung Abba. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Abba means daddy. Abba means protector. Abba means he's the one that you can have relationship with. Abba is the one that will never leave you or forsake you. You can find intimacy with him. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, because you are his sons, because you are his daughters, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. 
And since you are God's child, God has made you an heir. I need to say this as I close. Our Father, that's the posture we need to have. I love y'all. Kendra and I, we love all of y'all. But we would go past thousands of people that attend Victory Midtown to get to our son who is crying out, Father and Mother. And that's the revelation that you need to know, that you're not just this random servant. You're not just this person that's out there just in a line. God is saying, when you call out Abba, I'm right there with you. As I've had the privilege just to kind of experience, even over this last 30 days, spending more time with Maximus over this holiday, one of the things that Kendra will attest to that I do with him is that when he needs certain things, when he's asking for certain things, I always make it a point to say, hold on, daddy got you. And now I love the fact that what he does, I'll say, daddy got you. He say, daddy got me. And I do just like that every time. I almost cry. <laughs> but here's the thing. The reason why he does that is because his perception of me has now shaped his expectation of me. And so now when I show up on the scene as a father, when he's asking me, say, Daddy, pick me up, he knows Daddy got me. And he's going to pick me up. I got news for some people in the room. You may have not thought that Daddy has you. But God is saying, see me as your heavenly father and know daddy's got you. Forget your past experiences. Forget what you've gone through with your earthly father. He's got you. And I want to do something because I, I believe that if we started to pray like this as a church, if we started to get this revelation for real, for real, and not just do it on Sundays, Things would change. Marriages would be outstanding. Our finances would be blessed. Our emotional health would be incredible. But watch this. I want to take it another step. What if the men in this church started to take on this posture that we understand, as many of you are already doing, I love the fact that I get to have a conversation with so many of you that are operating as awesome fathers. But we have an opportunity to keep pushing that thing forward, to be the leaders to be the prayers that literally shapes the way people see our Heavenly Father. So this is what I want to do. I want to close like this. I'm going to ask every single man in here to run down to this altar with me real quick. Come on, as we get ready to close. Come on, don't think about it. We're getting ready to leave in just a second. Every man, come on down, come on down, come on down, come on down. Get close. Women, you should be praising God to see this many men in church on a Sunday morning. Come on, get close. Get tight, get tight, get tight, get tight, get tight. Get tight, get tight. Listen, as you make your way, what you're stepping into right now is saying, God, I come in agreement with the understanding that you got me. And that I don't want to just be a passive participator. I want to make sure that I'm walking in the statues, walking in the understanding that I get to model the same things that you model as a heavenly father. And so I want you to do this. Men, even as you're still coming down, some are coming from the overflow. Can we all just lift our hands right now? I know I've asked you to do this a few times today. And it's not religious. What this is, is every time we lift our hands, we're saying, I can't do it, but you can. When you lift your hands, what you're doing, you're saying, I'm not holding on to anything else. I'm surrendering to everything you have for me. And so as you lift your hands, just go ahead and bow your heads. I want to just pray over you. 
And this is for everybody in the room, because as we get ready to pray, some of us in here, we can't experience a heavenly father because we not made him our father. And so if you're in here right now with your hands lifted and you say, I know I need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, making him really my father. I want you to repeat this prayer after me and everybody repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for making it possible that I can experience the Heavenly Father. Today I repent, meaning I turn from my way of doing things and I turn towards your way of doing things. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me so that I can live with your character and live with your way so that I can be example to the world. Right now, I declare that I'm saved, that I'm set free, and that God is my Father from this day forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I know we are a little bit in overtime, but I don't know if y'all know how magnificent this looks right now. This is not for hype. We literally have a whole army of soldiers that are going out and saying, God, I will no longer be defined by what the world says. I'm going to be defined by what my heavenly father says about me. And so as we get ready to leave again, I want to just actually just say a quick prayer that encapsulates the names of God. Because I want to model how we need to do this thing every single day. And so go ahead and just bow your heads. I'm going to pray over us right now. Father, first, I want to just thank you for these men, these men of honor, who have come to be changes in their bloodline. They have come to be interruptions in their bloodline, never to go back again to the old ways of doing things by your spirit. And so, Father, what we say right now is we hollow your name. We say, Jehovah Sitkanu, thank you for being our righteousness. We say, thank you for actually separating anything that would try to separate us from you and bringing us close to you. Jehovah Mekadesh, thank you for being the one who sanctifies us. You wash us white as snow because you allow us to have fellowship with you. Thank you for being Jehovah Shalom, our peace. God, I thank you that peace will be our portion. And as we leave this place, we're not looking over our shoulders, stressed out about protecting ourselves because you give us peace inwardly. God, I thank you for being Jehovah Shama, that we can know the Lord is here. That here is everywhere that the soles of our feet tread. We know that they are yours. God, I thank you for being Jehovah Jireh over every person in this place's life. That you are our provider. That we don't have to be bound by the circumstances of the world. And I thank you, God, that we are those who listen and, and, and yield to you being Jehovah, the healer. Jehovah Rapha. God, I thank you right now. You're Jehovah Rohi. You're our shepherd and we shall not want. You're Jehovah Nisi. You are our victory. And you are Jehovah Saboah, that we can have confidence that every single place we go, we go with heaven's armies with us. So I plead the blood of Jesus over this congregation. And I thank you that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen. And amen. Come on, give God one more great round of applause. Give it all to God right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, you can stay right here. We're getting ready to dismiss in just a second. Pastor Erson is going to give a couple good instructions that you're going to want to hear. God bless you, Victory. I love you.